Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisila. Hello, uh, this is Aisla, and back with the first episode of second season of Business as Unusual. And I'm very excited to be here with Jeff Leitner. Uh, we're going to start with uh, saying hello to Jeff and doing a little icebreaker, and then we'll talk more about what Jeff has been up to and why he's such a great person to have on the show. So hello, Jeff. Uh, I am uh, very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I've been trying to do this since November. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so let's start like, giving people a chance to get to know you. And um, what was the last artist that you got lost in? Uh, so I recently discovered an architect by the name of Stephen Hall, H-O-L-L. And uh, I'm obsessed oh. with this stuff. Uh, I, I don't know how I went this long without, uh, having heard of him. Uh, he is, he doesn't just do amazing stuff. He does it, his rationale for how he gets to it is just wonderful and accessible and brilliant. Uh, he seems, I mean, he may not be grounded at all. He may be, uh, you know, may be arrogant. I have the slightest idea, but he seems in all the interviews to be a pretty grounded guy. And, uh, uh, I'm really inspired, not just uh, by the buildings he creates, but by how he thinks about what he's doing. And I've, uh, I, as, as may come up later in our conversation, I absorb uh, design and art all the time to help me do my job. And he is sort of my latest crush. I love that. An art, an art crush. That's a great mm -hmm. way to describe that excitement and the way it can open you up to new possibilities. Um, well, yeah, let's talk about like, what, what is your business or your, or what do you do? <laughs> uh, the short answer, the sort of cocktail party answer is that I help organizations innovate and I do it uh, for a very particular reason. And that is, uh, I help organizations sort of see themselves differently in the world so that they can have a much bigger impact. If they're private sector organizations so that they can be more successful in the market, if they're you know, government or uh, social sector organizations so that they can have a bigger impact in the world. Uh, I find that organizations are uh, inevitably self-limiting they, uh, just like people are, you know, we all uh, think we're schmucks and, uh, you know, secretly harbor a concern that we're schmucks and, and don't sort of realize all that we can accomplish. I think organizations are the same way and often need to sort of be, sort of either be reinvented themselves or have uh, their sort of, uh, their, uh, their understanding of who they are in the world, uh, sort of re-engineered so that they can accomplish more. That's that's what I do. That's really interesting and impressive. Um, I'm curious, it, my 
observation and experience is that there's often resistance to that kind of clarity or change. So do you find people are very receptive when you help them see things differently? Or do you have to battle through some form of that's not happening? Uh, it's an interesting question. You know, is there resistance to change naturally? Yeah, that, that we're hardwired to resist change. Uh, but I often find that uh, nobody fights a promotion. So hmm. if they're being sort of, uh, if you're, what you're doing is innovating a new role for them to play in their market or a new role for them to play in the world, and it is a better sort of more powerful position, it, nobody really fights a promotion. Uh, you know, they may not understand the mechanics of it. Uh, there are certainly people inside of reorganization who believe their turf is being threatened by whatever the nature of the change is. But when you're, you know, if I say, uh, you, you know, uh, I, you know, I take a look at your budget and I say, actually, this is how you're going to be a gazillionaire. Uh, very few people fight that. That's great. I get it. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I, what brought you to that kind of work? Is it, did you take a class or how do you get that job? <laughs> uh, it, it, it emerged over time. Uh, I, I'll tell you a sort of moment when it occurred to me that that was the kind of stuff I wanted to do. Uh, I was a newspaper reporter and I was covering government and politics. And so I sat in a lot of, uh, you know, government committee hearings. That was sort of uh, my personal hell. So I would, you know, I'd wake up in the morning and I would sit there for hour upon hour of, you know, listening to committees, debate, you know, budgets and policy, new laws. And, uh, uh, and, and I, you know, I was there in order to gather information and then conduct interviews and then file stories. I, that's what I did. Right. But what I found myself doing more and more is pulling elected officials aside and saying, well, if you just move this chess piece over here and that chess piece over there, I think everybody wins. Uh, and I found that I was much more interested in how to make it all work than I was in just reporting on why it wasn't. Mm. And it, it, you know, it doesn't make me, you know, I, and I wasn't a great reporter. I was a pretty good reporter. I did it for a while. I have, <laughs> I have something ridiculous, like 1500 bylines. So I did it a lot, but mm. I, I wasn't great. You know, I knew I was never going to get the White House beat. You know, I wasn't that guy, but but what it turned out I was good at was seeing the whole field and then seeing possibilities that people in the room weren't seeing because mm -hmm. they were sort of locked into, uh, you know, they were constrained into a position that they, they, they couldn't see beyond, right? Whether, and what makes this even weirder is that I am, uh, you know, a lifelong Democrat. Uh, I, I guess we're called progressives now. It's not clear to me uh, what I am. Uh, but, and I was doing this in the most Republican county in Illinois. So huh. everybody was a Republican in the room. And, but I couldn't help myself. I just said, if you, 
you know, if you move the rook over here and you move the knight over there, the whole chessboard clears up and you can get everything you want. And it's a better policy. And I kept doing it over and over. And I realized that wasn't my job. And so I figured out a way to make it my job. That's awesome. And I like that, it, that, that you are able to see past an ideology. Like it's not um, that you could be identified as a Democrat or progressive. And yet it's still, it's, it's, it's beyond that artificial division. Um, it's kind of a, it shouldn't be as remarkable, but it is something today that I feel like we don't see as much of that, that ability to kind of see the whole field as opposed to the silo. I had a call today with somebody, uh, who's, uh, I, I don't, I, I don't want to describe him too much. Cause I, you know, the story I'm about to tell may not, he may not be okay with, uh, <laughs> he was telling me his son is in high school at one of the top high schools in the country where he is an officer in the young Democrats. And he noticed that the teen Republican club on campus was going away because they just didn't have enough. Uh, they didn't have enough people willing to organize it. So now his kid is both an officer in the young Democrats and in the teen Republicans, even though the kid self-identifies as a Democrat, he, he thinks it's, it's, we've got a lesser world unless we have somebody to discuss all this stuff with on the other side. Mm -hmm. Isn't that wow, fascinating? That's... Like that, that is a degree of commitment to, uh, you know, a better world than I've ever had. Yeah, that's awesome. That's inspiring. Um, thanks for sharing that. Um, what impact do you seek to have by doing this work? Uh, I, I, well, we'll stay on the social impact side uh, where I've done a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, I think there's, I think we can get a lot more good accomplished. And I think we've got enough, uh, I think we have enough people committed to the cause, but we're not making as much progress as we'd all like to make. And so part of what my job is, is to sort of elevate how people understand their, you know, how the organizations understand themselves so that they can get much more accomplished. That they, uh, you know, I, it, it, look, as I said earlier, we are all sort of constrained, limited by our, you know, self-identities. All of us are, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's from our childhoods or, uh, you know, something mean a college professor said to us once or just a sort of generalized uh, insecurity. Organizations are weirdly the same way. They, mm -hmm. they have, uh, a sort of a limited worldview of the impact that they can have in large part because they are constrained by uh, how they believe their world works and the role that they play in it. And it's my job to come along, understand their world, understand you know what the resource flow and how they make an impact and who else in the world, uh, you know, they're competing for resources with, et cetera, et cetera. And then say, oh my God, you're not that at all. Did you know you're actually X, mm -hmm. which is a much more powerful position than what you, what you currently hold. And from this new perch, look at all you can accomplish. And then we can get much more done from up there. Mm -hmm. So my, I mean, what I'm trying to do is 
increase by some measure by uh, you know some multiplier uh, how much good everybody's doing because uh, I think they're the experts I'm not like I don't know how to eradicate hunger and I don't know how to set up a, a women's shelter and I don't know how to reduce carbon emissions I Jeff do not understand enough to know how to do any of those things but the their reach uh, and potential impact are weirdly limited by beliefs they have about how the world works and where they fit into it. Hmm. And by helping them sort of transcend that in a very pragmatic way, uh, they can significantly increase the impact. So that's what I'm trying to do. Right? I love that. I. Do you, is there a, an example or an experience you can share that wouldn't be overly revealing to that, that would demonstrate like a place where that occurred or? Oh, of course. And any social impact work isn't secret. Mm. I mean, not, I mean, a lot of my stuff isn't secret, but uh, so let me think what would be a good example. Um, so one day, I was waiting for a meeting to start and I'm in Chicago, I'm downtown Chicago and my cell phone rings and the voice on the other end asks if, if I'm me and I say, I am in fact me. And they say, I'm calling from the state department. And I said, okay. And they said, wondered if you would help us with something. I said, okay, go on. And the whole time I'm thinking, this isn't a real call. Nobody ever gets a call on a Wednesday morning from the State Department. Like, that's a weird call. And uh, they said, uh, the voice on the other end, after they identified themselves, said, international organizations like the UN don't work, and we know that. We know they don't work very well. And, uh, and we're wondering if you would help us redesign the model of how international organizations work. And at this point, I'm absolutely convinced I'm being punked, right? Like nobody has <laughs> yeah. ever gotten it, right? Like that's, that's just a stupid call. And, uh, you know, Billy, is that you? You know, I go through all of that. Um, but it was real. And so did a project with them to sort of understand, uh, you know, what, what are sort of the key elements that power how an organization, international organization like the like the the UN works, and because uh, because this project wasn't weird enough, uh, they gave us international organization to play with mm -hmm. something called the Community of Democracies, which is headquartered in Warsaw, uh, which is uh, an organization that. Uh, that all democracies in the world belong to in order to share best practices on how to be a democracy. And the reason they were started, started by uh, Secretary of State Madeleine Albright and her counterpart in Poland. Uh, and the reason it started is because autocracies like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, bad guys uh, are really good at sharing best practices. <laughs> like, um, 
you know, like, you know, Putin is really good at sharing best practices with Turkey, who's really good at sharing best practices with Cuba, who's really, it's just the weirdest thing. Huh. They're like, they're a better, you know, chamber of commerce than democracies have, <laughs> right? And uh, so uh, we started playing with uh, with this and we wanted to dig in and understand what, uh, you know, how do these things work and uh, and uh, how might we make improvements to it so that they could rise above who they believe themselves to be and they could be more effective. Uh, so the first thing we did was pull together a bunch of really diverse uh, folks from a bunch of diverse perspectives. I had architects and CEOs and, um, and uh, consultants and professors of all types and all these people who had all this deep subject matter expertise, but not in the problem we were tackling. Now, why did they agree to do this? Because I said, do you want to redesign the UN? And of course, everybody flew uh, to Charlottesville, Virginia to help me redesign the UN. Because um, who gets that call? So uh, we all gather there and uh, we share a bunch of information with them before the meeting. And then we spend the day together knocking around different models about how organizations like this might work better. And we come up with the answer based on a concept in family therapy, hmm. which of course you would, right? Yeah. Uh, sure. It's international organization, family therapy. Uh, why wouldn't you? And the concept is called, uh, the, uh, wait, what is it? The, uh, I'm going to lose it. The concept is called shoot. I've lost it. It'll come back to me. There's a concept in family therapy that says, um, that in a healthy family, uh, people in the family trade off roles based on who's best equipped to handle the problem. Okay. In an unhealthy family, the roles are fixed, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, dad always wins, right? Mm -hmm. Dad's word predominates no matter what the subject is, mm -hmm. right? But in a healthy family, sometimes, you know, one parent uh, is uh, takes the lead because they're better at X. And another time, another parent takes the lead because they're better at X. And sometimes junior takes the lead because junior's better at X. I'll give you an example. If you have young kids, you know, if you have a tween or a teenager, you know that when you get a new phone, you know, it's time to replace your phone. You just hand your phone to your kid mm. because they know what to do with it. They know how to set it up way better. Even intuitively, they understand how to do this, mm. right? You don't understand. They understand it better than you will. And at that moment, whoever the kid is, right, the, the kid is the expert in the family. And healthy families trade expertise and power that way. The UN and organizations like that do not do that. The UN says the U.S. is the most powerful actor in the world. Therefore, the U.S. is the expert. And at the time we were doing this, we discovered that the community of democracies was putting on a program about, um, about how to recover from a military coup. And the program was being led by the U.S. 
The U.S. has never had a military coup, January 6th aside, <laughs> has never had its government taken over by a coup. How in the world would the U.S. know? Why wouldn't we ask Chile? Right. Right. And the answer was because the U.N. is like an unhealthy family in which you would never ask Junior how to do this because the big, strong U.S. is in charge. Right. Mm -hmm. So we said, oh, if you make this change, you'll unlock all this power of the organization. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> so that is an example of a constraint, a belief, a self-limiting practice that the organization had that once you just remove that, the organization becomes much more powerful and effective. Right. It wasn't that we invented a new anything. Right. You just brought it's expertise just there... to the table that wasn't being included. Well, yeah. more specifically, that we took, uh, we identified something that was holding them back. Mm -hmm. And all we had to do was release that and they became more powerful and effective. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, you think you already answered this, but it like in a if you are successful or when you are successful in your work, what's what would what will be or is different in the world? Yeah, it's a tough question. I mean, I think organizations will be better at realizing their full potential, whether it's, uh, you know, in the marketplace uh, or whether or not, you know, or it's in the social impact space where more good is getting done and we can get over the hurdles in these places. Um, I, you know, I have this fantasy that organizations will consider a broader range of options before behaving, hmm. uh, you know, they, before acting, before making massive investments, they, they, as a rule, organizations are pretty limited by what they believe the options are available to them, which is why I say I help organizations innovate. Uh, I help them see there are way more options for moving forward available to them than they can imagine. Mm -hmm. And because I look at so many fields and industries all the time, I can pick from one field and drag it over to their field. Mm -hmm. So is it I can say if only you operated, you know, I was meeting with an organization yesterday that is probably working at about 5% of its potential impact. And they are, by the way, nationally recognized and best in class. And they're at about 5% of what they could be doing. And it is because they're limited by all these sorts of beliefs about how an organization like them is supposed to move in the world. And when I said, but what if you were more like this kind of organization over in this other field and then all these sorts of opportunities oh my god we could we could increase that what we discussed yesterday is we could increase the amount of social impact being done by them by tens of millions of dollars a year wow hard stop just by unchaining ourselves from what we believe are our options and opening ourselves up to how it's done in other fields. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, what's your best advice? Um, the best advice I've gotten or the best advice I give? Either, actually. 
Or both. The best advice I've gotten, I am really bad at taking. So I have to, I have to, I have to remind myself that this is counsel that's been given to me over and over and over and over and over. And I'm probably 4% of the way there to absorbing it. Um, and that is the more that I trust myself and my instincts, the more effective I am. Uh, when Barbara Walters died recently, a quote of hers came to light, which was the hardest thing you will ever do is trust yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, she's pretty successful uh, in her career. Uh, and I, I, I forget this all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I fall into the trap that everybody does, which is I'm going to find myself a model uh, that, you know, has worked for someone else. And then I'm going to try to follow their path to get where I want to go because that will provide me a roadmap. And the reality is um, I, I, the more I do that, the less authentic it feels to me. And the less authentic it feels to me, the more dead inside I am, the less enthusiastic I am about the work, the more I feel like a sellout. Um, so uh, the, uh, I, I, I have to remember to listen to the, what the voice in my head is saying more than the voice in your head. So that's, that's the advice that's gotten, uh, that's helpful to me that again, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not near far enough along. Uh, and then what's the best advice I've given? Um, I, I'm going to make one up right now. I don't think I give this advice enough because I'm not sure that people are receptive enough to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm going to give it as if the world gives a damn. I like it. Um, I absorb information about fields other than my own all the time. I tend to do it first thing in the morning when I am at my sort of most fertile, uh, sort of intellectually. Uh, and I watch documentaries about all sorts of things that have nothing to do with me. And the reason I do it, I mean, I, it largely is because I'm looking for another way to think about the problems I'm trying to solve, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm trying to solve a problem about how to build a bicycle, which by the way, I have no mechanical instincts, so I'm never trying to solve a problem like how to build a bicycle. <laughs> but if I were, I would watch a documentary about sculpture and I don't know why. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to learn how to be a sculptor. I'm not gonna be a sculptor any more than I'm going to be a mechanical engineer. But something about getting outside my field allows me to open up my thinking and drag that back to the problem I'm trying to solve. So I would encourage everybody to, and you don't have to read whole books on it, on another subject. I don't have the patience to read a whole book on, you know, building bicycles. I just don't have that much. But I can watch a 20-minute YouTube video about it, right? Mm -hmm. Or I can watch a documentary about something that I, has nothing to do with me. 
I uh, I'm obsessed with uh, design and art in particular, because I think those are very, very helpful in doing it. And I've been thinking about why design and art are particularly helpful for me. And that is, think about what design and art are. To be a great designer or a great artist, you have to do something no one else has ever done. Mm -hmm. Right? So if you sell term life insurance, the way to be successful is to do what everybody else does but harder or something, mm -hmm. right? You There's a process, right? Mm -hmm. But in design and in art, you, you are only rewarded if you do something nobody else has ever done in a way no one else has ever done it. Mm -hmm. It's the only way you get rewarded. Otherwise, you no one will ever hire you, right? You can't do the same thing over and over. If you do, no one will ever hire you as a designer or an artist. So you have to break new ground every time you leave the house. Mm. It's, it's the only way it works. And that inspires me to get in their heads to figure out how to look at the world in a way that says, I have to break new ground here. Mm. It is the opposite of being like a you know one of the big consultancies where I'm supposed to come in and tell you how everybody does it. Right. right? And and equip you to do it the way that GE did it or, you know, the way that T-Mobile did it or the way, like, I, I, in my work, I have to figure out a place for you to, for your organization to show, to show up in the world or in the market that no one else holds. So I have to find someplace original. It's the only way this works. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I consume copious amounts of content about people who have to invent shit all the time. I love that. When you said that, I, I was thinking about like the, the art that I've been excited about, you know, in a variety of mediums and there's a, an inevitability, but, but like something that's unexpected. And yet when we arrive there, it feels inevitable. I feel like that, that's that. That's that is moment. Man, when, when I hit that, <laughs> That's when I win, right? right? When when I when I help an organization get to a, a spot, and they see that from this new perch they can have much bigger impact or uh, make a much bigger dent in the market, it should feel inevitable. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, well, of course, that's what we were trying to do, Jeff. That's why we hired. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and that's that is the that that combination of novelty and inevitability is the winning formula. Mm -hmm. It is incredibly hard to engineer for. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. I've never thought about it in business. And that's a it's a pretty we'll go down my nerdy rabbit hole. Uh, so uh, what do you do to keep yourself inspired uh, when it gets like, you know, if there's something that you're stuck with or just, you know, to, to stay in that place of, of a, you know, constant generation? Um, I, uh, I try to do a thing that I haven't been able to do very much since the, since the lockdown. And that is be around creative people being creative mm. 
Um, that's what uh, be around people who have ridiculous ambitions. Mm-hmm. That that is awesome for me. Uh, before the sh- shutdown, I traveled enough that I I was often in the presence of that kind of energy, and that sort of energy keeps me kind of renews me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I can you know it's also you know moonlight walks on the beach. I you know I, I get all that too, but. But what fires me up is being around audacity, hmm. right? And, uh, you know, not criminal audacity, uh, like we see on the news all the time now. Um, but, uh, but sort of, you know, people who are trying to, uh, you know, change everything uh, and are, you know, are reasonable actors in the world, you know, have, have reasonable resources and, and influence in order to get things done. Um, I, I have a, uh, you know, uh, my contacts include a lot of these folks. And so I talk to them and, um, it isn't just their inspiration. It's the, uh, it's that we share the struggle, hmm. right? Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, you know, I talked to somebody uh, today who said they're trying to uh, build all the resources and tools necessary for us to pull off stakeholder capitalism. I mean, come on. That's like, you know, like that's just silly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's way too audacious. And the answer is, yeah, but maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. But being around that you know, I think, I think fires me up. I think I may on rare occasion fire them up. And, and then it, there's a sort of virtuous cycle. That's awesome. I like it. Virtuous cycle too, as opposed to the vicious one. <laughs> like, sure. Cause I think that is true. You can get amplified by interaction. And so that's part of why, you know, keeping that in your life is a powerful move. Yeah. The alternative for me, right. What, what uh, kills me is smallness and smallness shows up in many forms but one of the insidious forms of it that is really bad for me is uh people who have a pretty limited view of how things are done Mm -hmm. and uh, you know god love them i mean by the way some of my wealthiest friends have pretty limited views of how things are done. They figured out how to do a thing. They've done it over and over and over and over and sold their companies for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. God love them. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, that doesn't uh, empower me. Mm-hmm. That doesn't give me the juice I need to get my stuff done. Yeah. But it isn't, I, I don't begrudge them and I, I, you know, I still have a beer with them. It just isn't, it just isn't, uh, it's not expansive enough for me. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I have to be irrational. I love it. To, I mean, right. I mean, <laughs> I, it, it, I, I think I have to have an irrational objective and people who make their money by blocking and tackling exceedingly well, uh, you know, aren't, Irrational. Mm-hmm. They're the opposite of irrational. Mm-hmm. 
No, it's a, I have to think about that one. I like, but it's a, I think it, there's something in there that I can really relate to. Um, and I'm sure as folks listen to this, some of them are going to say, gosh, I'd love to find out how I work with Jeff or reference him or stay up to date on what he's up to. So how, how do they do that? How do they find you or? Uh, so uh, I'm going to answer your question, but first a caveat. Sure. Um, uh, I am... I am messing with the DNA of organizations, right? Mm -hmm. As such, uh, all of my work tends to come from uh, people who highly recommend me to other people mm -hmm. because, you know, you don't hire your heart surgeon off of Twitter. I mean, one would hope right? not. <laughs> uh, that would... Uh, a word of advice to folks, don't hire a heart surgeon off of Twitter. Um, the, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy to talk to people if they think their organizations uh, could use this sort of help. Uh, the reality is that I, you know, I'm not optimistic that anything I do like this or, uh, you know, I, I've given a lot of talks in my life that, that that's not where my work comes from. I'm just trying to sort of spread the gospel um of of this sort of work mm -hmm. um but uh i can be found at leitnerproject.com so l-e-i-t-n-e-r uh project.com uh and it's just my bio there right now yeah. uh i'm on social media but i don't do anything there mm -hmm. i just have a following and i i use it to lurk <laughs> uh and i lurk both for entertainment and to find interesting people whose work I ought to be paying attention to uh, because it'll give me an insight into another field. Uh, the, uh, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm open to talking to anybody if they think their organization is uh, in need of, uh, you know, holding it kind of re-engineering the, the place it plays in their world or in the market. Um, I'm, I'm happy. I'm open to it. I'm just, I just happen to know that unless we have somebody in common, this is a real stretch for folks. Mm -hmm. No, it does. It takes a lot of trust to, to let's, you know, that, like that resistance piece that we were talking about at the beginning, that the trust is probably a big factor in folks not, even if it is a promotion, people don't, well, all myself included, like the, the, that level of change or it can be very scary. So that makes sense that uh, trust is a big sure. part of it. And, you know, the, you know, it's, you know, the saying that nobody ever got uh, fired for hiring IBM. I think the same is true of big consultancies, mm -hmm. you know, the McKinsey's and, um, you know, the world. Uh, nobody ever got fired for hiring them. I think those, you know, there's, they, they bring a lot of, uh, it, it's, you know, it, the, there's less risk mm -hmm. involved. Yeah. And the kind of work that we're doing that I do with these organizations in the private sector, I mean, we didn't talk about that, but, you know, I've worked with Starbucks and Panera and U.S. Bank, uh, U.S., uh, UBS, not U.S. Mm -hmm. Bank, UBS and uh, you know, All Steel and, uh, you know, a number of uh, corporations that that work set, you know, requires they, oh, I thought I was X. And it mm -hmm. turns out I actually play a different role or I could potentially play a different, more powerful role in the market. And that, you know, that's, that's, uh, that takes guts. 
Mm-hmm. No, it really does. Like I could hear that courage is a, is a strong theme in your, in your work, in your life. That's a, we need more of that. So thanks for being there. Do you have any final thoughts before we say goodbye to folks? Uh, no, just stop reading stuff in your field. You're already know enough in your field, unless you're really young in your field and then read stuff in your field. And if you're uh, been in your field a few years, start reading stuff in other fields. And then you can drag those ideas over to your field and they'll hail you as uh, wise and innovative mm-hmm. when all you've really done is steal it from another field. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much for being here. This is fantastic. And it's thank you everybody pleasure. for listening. And uh, we'll see you guys later on.